Uh, but either way, we're smack in the middle of this series that we're talking about spiritual formation and spiritual practices so that we can be formed into the kind of people that God wants us to be. And there are tons of ways that we are formed. The thing that we don't realize is that we're always being formed. We're always being shaped and molded and changed by every friendship, by our jobs, by everything that frustrates us and how we respond to that, um, by how we parent, by our parents. Um, just absolutely everything leaves it some level of an impression on us, and it shapes us into the kind of people we are moving forward. And unfortunately, most people never stop to ask, who am I being formed into? What kind of person am I becoming over time? You know, I think it's really important for us who are adults because we see our kids being shaped and formed, or our grandkids and nieces and nephews being shaped and formed, but we get to an age where we kind of think, I guess I'm done. Like, I'm formed. I'm cooked. You know, I'm done. I'm done. Like, the timer went off, and I'm out of the oven. But that never happens for us. We're always still in flux. We're always still able to be shaped. And so what we're doing during this series, each week we're looking at something that uh, has the ability to shape us properly, an activity that, that can shape us to be the kind of people that God wants us to be, people who are more loving, more peaceable, more joyful, more patient, and so on. Now, um, I gave a, <clears throat> excuse me, a definition of spiritual practices. Those are what we call those things that help us be properly shaped um, in the first week. And that's kind of a doozy, and I broke it down then. I'm not going to go through each part of it, but um, basically here's my definition. And I really worked hard to make it as short as I could, and you think, baloney. Maybe you see that. But I, did. I was running it by a couple pastors, and every time I cut something off, they're like, I don't know. Oh, you might want to put that back in. So this is what we ended up with. Um, so spiritual practices are repeated exercises that allow us to surrender our hearts and minds to be formed by the truth of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so far we've looked at Sabbath and prayer, and today we're going to look at worship. Um, now, I'm not sure how this happened, but somewhere along the way, we lost what worship is. And that's not, just to make this clear up front, that is not knocking musicians in any way, shape, or form, okay? This is not anything, I'm not, not this is an American church problem, and I say American church problem because I, that's my experience. Maybe it's a problem in other parts of the world. But we've taken, we've taken um, worship and we've shrunk it down and we've misunderstood what it really is because it's a huge, huge, gigantic thing. And so... Um, we've kind of missed what it is. And if you go back to Scripture and you start paying attention to the, the verses that mention worship, um, they're very different from what we come up with anymore in our modern-day understanding of the word worship. And again, I don't know how we got here. I don't know the history of it. I don't know when the shift happened. Um, but I do think that we have made at least two mistakes that I want to talk about uh, today. Isn't, here's the first one. We have shrunk worship down to only mean music. And again, I'm not knocking music, but when we talk about it's time to worship a church, we think songs. That's kind of naturally the thing that people think of. When you hear, um, you know, worship uh, on the radio, we think Christian songs, songs about Jesus, something like that. We think that's worship. Um, but worship is more than that. That's a little spoiler alert going forward. Worship is more than music. And again, it's not that it... Um, it's not that worship or music can't be worshipful or isn't worship. I'm just saying there's more to it than that. Um, it's almost like um, if somebody from Chicago 
try to convince you that the only real pizza is deep dish pizza. Now, I'm a huge fan of deep dish pizza, and I'll latch on to a big old hunk of it anytime I can get it. Um, but I've had other kinds of pizza that are really, really, really good. Even some kinds of pizza that some people might not even say are pizza. You ever had a breakfast pizza? Oh, yeah. Um, how about, you ever had barbecue chicken pizza? Oh, you're missing out. If you, never, can you, you get rid of the sauce and you put barbecue sauce and chicken. Some, oh, yeah, it's real good, right? You just know, like, no, we're, if you limit it, though, you're like, that's, it's, you're not wrong. Okay, deep dish pizza is pizza, but you're like, there's a whole world out here to explore, and we can't, we're missing out if we limit it down to just something. And so, yes, music is worshipful, and it is a great thing, um, but um, it is more than that. Worship is more than that. And so, um, again, like I said, don't get me wrong, singing Christian songs about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, those are worshipful things. Um, and I think part of the reason why we gravitate towards that is when you read the Psalms, there's a lot of places where singing and worship are kind of put together. And it, they, you know, worship God through, a, the one I read earlier was a joyful noise, okay? And that gets, you know, some of that hits home for some of us um, on some days more than others. Um, but it talks about um, this idea of, of, you know, how we praise God through songs and through playing instruments and whatnot, right? And, I, and so at some point, I think we just kind of focused in on that and started leaving off the rest of it. And so when we limit it to that, we are just missing out on a lot. And so um, because worship isn't just singing, um, what happens is I think we, um, or because we've, we've kind of got our brains down to say worship is just singing, we've we, we don't really even understand the, the idea of what it means to worship. And we don't even really have a great idea of what it means to sing in church. And I, I know this because um, people who aren't Christians, they come to church, they think this is weird. I mean, where else do you sit in rows and sing karaoke-style words on the screen, other than like karaoke? Or you might say a concert, but no, this was a concert. You'd have your phones out recording Jeff. Like, you'd be all, you, know, you wouldn't be, nobody would be watching Jeff, you'd be looking at him through your phones, you know, like screaming your brains out, right? So it's not a concert, we know this isn't karaoke, okay? Um, and so we're like, what is, what are we doing here? What's the point of this? We kind of don't have a great even understanding of what it means to worship through music. And so we've kind of missed out on some of this stuff. And um, so, like I said, you've probably caught on on this where I'm going, but worship is so much more than singing Christian songs. It's a much bigger topic than that. Um, and so, what I want to do is I want to read a few verses that talk about worship. Um, we're going to read several from the beginning of the Bible, from Genesis and Exodus, because it kind of helps us understand how the topic of worship is introduced into Scripture, how the theme is kind of set up as we move forward, and then we're going to read uh, one out of the New Testament after this. We're going to read three Old Testaments and one New Testament. Uh, the first one we're going to read is from Genesis 24, um, <clears throat> and it's when Abraham picked a servant and he said, hey, I need you to go find a wife for my son. They did things a little differently back then. And he says, you need to go find a wife for my son. And so the servant's like, okay, this is a big deal. And so he prays, God, help me find the right girl. And then he has this moment where he knows for sure that God has answered his prayer and he's found the right girl. And this is what happens. He says, the man, the servant, bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's 
kinsmen. So he praises God. He, he, he bows his head and he worships. Uh, the next passage is right when, uh, or after Moses has been called and God's spoken to him through the burning bush and says, hey, you're going to go into Egypt and you're going to free all my people. You're going to be the one to kind of lead the charge. And then Moses says, oh, but I can't. And God says, but you are. And he says, but I can't. And God says, but you are. And finally he says, but I can't talk very well. And Moses is like, fine, you and your brother then are going to go. And so God speaks to both Aaron and Moses, and they get together, and they go to the, the leaders of the Israelite people in Egypt, and they tell them, God has heard your prayers, and God's going to use us to lead the people to freedom. Okay, so this is what happens in Exodus chapter 4. So Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. And now the next one is when Moses goes up on a mountain for God to write the Ten Commandments on a couple of stone tablets. And when God shows up, this is Moses' reaction in Exodus 34, verses 8 and 9. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Now, again, no music so far. I mean, if that's a worship song that he follows up there with, that's a terrible one, like, oh, God, your people are terrible. Please love them anyway. Like, what a bad worship song. That's not a good one to lead with. And so we kind of have this idea. So there's something else going on here. It's deeper than just um, what we tend to think of. Now, this last example is coming from the New Testament when Peter, who was Jesus' kind of closest confidant and right-hand man during his earthly ministry, uh, Peter goes to the house of a man named Cornelius to share the gospel. And Cornelius had had a vision um, from an angel who spoke to him and kind of told him to bring Peter in. So he's like really expecting a lot of Peter. And so Acts chapter 10, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. So, again, none of these have anything to do with any aspect of music um, because worship doesn't mean mean music. Again, it can include it, but it is not, music is not the whole topic here. It's something much bigger. And if you paid attention, some of you probably already caught on to the, the idea of what goes along with worship in all of these passages. Did anybody catch it? Prayer. There's one repeated phrase, though. Bow down. or like, There's always this bowing down or something about getting down. And, and, and again, there's a talking to God, and often that comes along with it. Prayer is usually incorporated with it. But the word worship, um, there's an Old Testament Hebrew word that gets translated worship and a New Testament Greek word that gets translated to worship. And those, th- those words literally mean to bow down, to prostrate yourself before someone. Now, to prostrate, not prostate, that's a whole different thing to think about. And, and here's why I say that, is because you would not believe how many people I will hear read a passage out of the Bible that has the word prostrate in it, and they'll say prostate, and it gets me every time because I'm like, that's different. That's not what they're talking about in the Bible. To prostrate means to lay down like old school worship, you know, hands out in front of you, bowing down before somebody, like the, something you, that would happen in, in an old... Uh, 
Ancient, like how someone would treat a king, they would bow before the king. And so this is what the words, the word worship literally means, to bow down before somebody, to, to, it's, it, to, to lay yourself out in an act of humility and surrender. And so what that means, when we break, what does that actually mean? Because really, like are we supposed to come in here and like hit the ground? We don't have enough room between the pews to, to do that. Like what does it mean then for us to worship? Well, worship is simply when we acknowledge the greatness or superiority of someone or something else. Now, um, like I said, we can worship through music. You can do that. You can sing God's praises for how good he is, how great he is, how much he's richly taking care of us. But you can worship in a whole lot of ways that aren't music. Uh, we worship by how we spend our time, by how we spend our money. We worship through what we allow to live in our brains every day, the thoughts that we just entertain over and over again. We worship through what we decide to give our energy and our devotion to. We show what we think is superior and great and the source of all goodness by how we spend our lives. Those, the, the, the choices that we make show what we worship. And Christians are meant to worship God alone, to only acknowledge his greatness, his superiority, to devote ourselves fully and totally to him. In Luke chapter 4, at the beginning of Jesus' uh, ministry, um, he gets swept off into the desert to be tempted by Satan. And in one of those temptations, uh, here's what takes place. He says, then the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to you, and I give it to whom I will. If you then, talking to Jesus, if you will worship me, it will be it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So the only one we are to worship is God, meaning the one that we live our lives to. Uh, in submission to, in surrender to, the one that our lives kind of fold around and cater to, he's the only one that stands in that place of highest authority in our lives, of highest care. And, and because we've kind of forgotten this idea that worship is ultimately about surrender and living your life for God, proclaiming his goodness, um, giving him honor and, and glory and praise. Because we've kind of lost that, what we have done is what humans have always done. We've made worship about the wrong things. We've worshiped the wrong things. Namely, we, we like to worship ourselves. You notice Adam and Eve, that was the first thing they did. They get convinced to eat the fruit because oh, you'll be like God if you eat this fruit. Oh, that's great. I would love to be like God. Then I don't have to worship him. I can just worship me and live for me. Like that's kind of our MO. We live in a culture now where everything that uh, everything we're encouraged to do is, is, to, is about individuality, individual, personal freedom. You are supposed to be able to do whatever you want to do. Any desire, any craving, you should go out and be able to meet that craving. And then in the, uh, in the 60s, that started to take the form of sexuality, and that has blossomed into a, a several directions in our modern day. But we're told, like, you just worship you. You live for you. And we worship comfort. Uh, we worship entertainment. We worship food. I mean, you look on just like social media. We don't do it as much as we used to, thankfully, but... Um, it used to start out with we would just always take pictures of our food. 
Like, I, don't, I never understood that. One of the, the saddest moments on our honeymoon was we uh, had this really fancy meal, and we ate one of the, the courses before we took a picture of it. And we were like, oh, man, we wanted to have pictures of everything because it's such a good meal, and it's our honeymoon. And, oh, man. Yeah, you know, we were so sad about that. But now, anytime you scroll through Instagram, it's just people making food. You can make these wonderful dishes, which nobody, we can't pull this off. Normal people can't do this stuff, right? And so, but we worship all these things because we think the source of joy, the source of happiness, all these things. And so, like I said, we worship our sports teams. I am convinced that if someone from the ancient world, if you could like take them from the distant past, from a world of temples and statues and sacrifices, and you plopped them into a modern football stadium where they saw 300-pound guys out in the snow with no shirt on, half their body painted one color, half of their body painted the other, wearing a helmet with who knows what on it, like they would be like, this is a weird religion. Like that's what they would think. They, they, would, they wouldn't know. That would be the only category they had. And so we spend time and energy praising our teams above all else. We make uh, gods out of our hobbies. We live for hobbies. I'm going to be an expert at fishing. I'm going to hunt. I'm going to be crafty. I'm going to do all the... It's my hobby. It's my thing. We make it our entire identities. We make... Um, God's out of political parties and politicians, and we worship them, and we act like they can do no wrong and will do anything for the politicians of the day. Um, and so we have this problem where our worship gets off track from where it's supposed to be. We are made to worship God, and yet we worship the wrong things. Now, what's really, really um, hard for us to understand is that the idea of worship, it's not really even a religious thing. It's a human thing. Um, it's, it kind of falls in, you know, I said with formation, you're being formed all the time whether you realize it or not. Not just when you're at church doing things that hopefully for, for, uh, form your character. You and I are made to worship. There's a song about that. We're made to worship. We will naturally worship something. And if we are not intent and diligent about putting our worship in the direction of our one true creator, we'll just wander and our hearts will drift to other things, and we will love and give our lives and our time and our attention to the wrong things. Um, I must have had too much medicine this morning. My brain's having a hard time staying focused. Um, but the idea that, um, or this idea that our brains will wander, if you want to like, understand, or that, not that our brains will wander, that our hearts will wander, good grief, um, the idea that our hearts will wander um, away from God, just Read the Old Testament and pay attention to Israel. They're like the most frustrating people to watch because they have God showing up in front of them and he's, uh, at one point he's a tip tower of fire and then during the day he's a tower of clouds and, and he guides them and he gives them food from heaven and he does all these amazing miracles for them and they just repeatedly go off and say, I'm going to go believe in this other God instead than the one who's, you know, a giant pillar of fire right in front of me. Like they're so, they cannot keep their hearts and their eyes on God. They are constantly drifting away. And you read the Old Testament, and you, and you kind of see all these great miracles that happen, and you read it, and you go, these people are idiots. Like, what's wrong with these people? Why can't they just, like, God's great, and he's doing all these things for them. What is wrong with these people? And then at some point, you realize, oh, I'm these people. I'm these people. I'm an idiot. Like, I'm constantly trying to find other ways to entertain my life and to, you know, take the edge off my pain rather than bringing it to God. I'd rather zone out on TV shows and uh, eat some good food and forget and kind of, you know, zone out rather than, 
God, here's my heart. Here's what's going on. I surrender it to you. Like we, we're constantly doing these kinds of things. And so much so, um, there's actually an entire book in the Old Testament. It's the book of Hosea where God takes a prophet and he says, here's what you're going to do, Hosea. I want you to marry this woman who's a prostitute. And she's um, not going to be faithful to you hardly even a a single day in your entire marriage. And she's going to stray, and she's going to stray, and she's going to stray, and you're going to keep chasing after her and trying to bring her back uh, into a relationship with you. And then I want you to tell Israel, this is exactly what you are to me. I'm faithfully chasing you, my people, but you will not stay faithful to me even for a second. And so that is the danger that we live with. Our hearts are constantly going to be drawn to other things. We are, and we, we live in an age where we are, everything we get, everything that comes in front of our eyes promises us the world, promises us happiness. It's, and they're getting smarter than they used to. I had a, a, uh, an Instagram thing where someone's like, anybody remember this commercial from the 90s? And it was one of those old Mentos commercials. Does anybody remember how dumb those old Mentos commercials were? Where it's like all these like, you know, 18, 20, young 20-somethings, and they're all like walking around, and they're just like, like dancing through the streets. And, like the, and the, the one I saw, there was like a traffic jam, and his friends were, had crossed the street, but he couldn't get across the street. So he just opened the back door of this car and shimmied through this guy's car, and then the guy was like, like thinking he's getting carjacked, and he holds up his Mentos and thumbs up. It was so dumb, right? And like the subtle idea is that like that's look how happy you could be, look how much fun you and your friends could be having if you just eat some Mentos. Like that's dumb, but they they get more subtle and sophisticated nowadays. It's just kind of everything is cinematic, and it tries to trick us into believing that anything is going to save us, anything's going to be the source of all relief, and it deserves your time, your energy, and the focus of your worship. So again, what we have to understand is that worship is acknowledging the greatness or superiority of something or someone. And you will worship something. I will worship something. I will be laying down my life and surrender to God every day, or I'll be bending over backwards to get other things into my life. Everybody worships. And it is only when we worship God and we surrender our hearts and our minds and our attitudes and our conversations and our relationships to him. It's only then that we can truly be properly formed as human beings. And so anytime that you say no to yourself to do something that is more honoring to God, that's an act of worship. When you decide to be more generous in order to bless other people instead of spend all your money on the things that you want, that can be an act of worship. When you make time to come be with your church family on a Sunday morning. Instead of sleeping in or doing a dozen other things, you probably got a to-do list that you're thinking about, that can be an act of worship. And that's what this is, by the way. This is the only thing that should be different. This shouldn't be the only place where worship happens. This is just where we worship together. This is where we take time to be, let's get together as a people and proclaim God's goodness. Um, when you teach your children how to follow Jesus, that's an act of worship. Um, when you choose to forgive somebody rather than either getting revenge or holding a grudge forever, that's an act of worship. And yes, when we sing songs, yes, of course those can be acts of worship. We sing songs, one, to God. That's what makes this different than a concert or karaoke. See, every, in most other situations where you're all in rows facing a direction... We're singing, like, 
or when you're on the road facing the stage, that you're the audience. But that's not how this works when we sing songs. God is the audience. We sing to him to declare his greatness, to, to declare how amazing he is. Think of like, uh, again, the person coming to meet an old-time king. Oh, king, I bow before you for your greatness. Like, we're praising him for his absolute goodness in our lives. That's what this is. And then also, sometimes we sing these songs, we're declaring God's truth. We're proclaiming and standing on the truth of God that is in those songs and the lyrics of those songs as opposed to believing the lies that have been fed to us everywhere else by our broken world. And so absolutely singing can be worship. But I promise you, if you think of worship as only singing, your life is going to get a little out of balance and you're going to worship the wrong things most of the time. So my challenge for you as we... Uh, get done with this, and we move on out into the, another week of trying to figure out how to be properly formed, is I want everyone to just, throughout this week, start asking yourself, besides God, what am I worshiping? What am I worshiping? I mean, I, I know I worship comfort. I know. I mean, I mentioned a few weeks ago when we talked about Sabbath that I could make napping a hobby. If, if it was allowed, napping would be my hobby. Like, I know I can... I, I, I focus on comfort. I want, um, when, anytime the kids get, go off to like my mom's for the weekend or something, I don't, there's never really any like defined like habits that Abby and I get into, except we know that we ain't cooking the whole time they're gone. Like we're going to eat all the places that they never want to eat. Oh, that's gross. No, that's too spicy. We're going to go like, well, that's what, like, so I know I have a tendency to worship myself and what, and my comfort and being comfortable all, like, I want to serve me if I'm being honest, but what is it that you were worshiping? Who has your heart? What has your heart? What occupies your thoughts? What easily gets your money? Where do you easily spend your free time? What are you worshiping besides God? Um, I mentioned last week that prayer isn't, it's meant to be this kind of constant companion where you're constantly talking to God. Worship is the same way. It's this constant attitude of I'm surrendering my life to God so that when someone pulls out in front of you and it makes you angry and you want to do something maybe not so nice, in that moment you say, no, I'm, I want to live my life in a way that honors God and represents joy and not anger. And you make a choice in that moment that can be hopefully more worshipful then waggling fingers out the window or whatever it is that you end up doing, honking your horn or anything like that. And so it is meant to be a constant part of your life. So what is it that occupies your life? What is it that draws your heart away from God? These are questions that can help you to start monitoring what gets your worship so you can fight against the drift that's going to take place in our lives and in our hearts so that we can keep our eyes, our focus, and our worship on our amazing God. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the time that we get to spend together. We're grateful for the hope that we have in Jesus. I thank you that we can come to church as a, as a family and we can worship you. I thank you that we can worship you every day when we get up. We can pop out of bed and pray, God, I give you this day as an act of worship. We can um, choose to not be um, angry when, or treat others in a, in a poor way because we're angry or grumpy. We can worship you that way by showing kindness and compassion even when we don't really feel like it. Um, there's a million different ways that we can honor and glorify you, Father, and I just pray that we would be a people who take that calling seriously, 
that we are to worship you. And I do thank you that when we come together as a church family, we get to worship you through uh, singing songs together, that we get to sing to you and declare your greatness because you deserve praise and honor and glory. And I do pray that we also get to proclaim the truth of these, um, the truth that's contained in the lyrics of these songs. And we sing them in a way that just gets a little deeper in our soul. It, it grabs our emotions in a way that even sermons can or reading a scripture can and maybe even sometimes praying together can't. But a song, music can, can reach down and help us to worship you in, in such a powerful way. And so I pray that we would uh, be grateful for that and honor you um, in every possible moment of our lives so that we can keep our focus on you at all times. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.